Let's pray together. Father in heaven, this morning we come so thankful for Easter Sunday. Last weekend was fantastic. And yet, Father, as far as Scripture, as far as what the truth is, as far as how you go, today is completely no different. Absolutely no different. Our sins are still great and many, and it killed Jesus on the cross. Your love and patience and kindness is still abounding. You raised your son from the dead. Your power is seen in that sin and death and the devil are not more powerful than you. You have defeated that. Christ is risen from the grave and we are here to worship you. And a month from now, that'll be the same. And a hundred years from now, God, that will be the same. We ask, God, that you would lead us in worship today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bible, please turn to Exodus chapter 8. Exodus chapter 8. Last week we took a break from Exodus just to get back into uh, or, to, or to look at uh, a resurrection passage. Uh, so to, we took a break from Exodus, but now we are back in Exodus, uh, back into the plagues. That's where we were, and up until now we have gone through the first three plagues. I want to remind you uh, that I want you to learn the ten plagues. Um, and I taught you all a little, little rhyme to help you remember those, but it's been a few weeks, and so let's go over it again. Blood, then frogs, gnats, then flies, then comes number five, the livestock dies. Boils, hell, locusts, darkness to the eyes. Then comes number 10, the firstborn dies. It rhymes, it goes together, it makes sense, and you'll remember those. Now, there's not going to be a test, and so uh, it's not an academic assignment. But what we're learning from you being here is that in the book of Exodus, we see God doing so many things, demonstrating his power, overcoming the hardness of heart, uh, saving his people, showing himself to be glorious, that people would know that God is glorious, that he is God, that he is powerful, and that his name is to be worshipped. There is no other proper option in life. And so memorizing the plagues is not, hey, I know the ten plagues. Memorizing the plagues is that reminds me of all that God has done, is doing, all that God has done, all that God is able to do. The plagues remind me of my great God and the plagues remind me of sinful people that refuse to listen to our great God. So it is blood, then frogs, gnats, then flies, then comes number five, the livestock dies. Boils, hell, locusts, darkness to the eyes, then comes number ten, the firstborn dies. Today we will look at four through six. That would be flies, livestock dies, and boils, okay? Four through six today. Next week we're going to look at just number seven, the hell. They're all a lot alike, but they're different. As we're looking through Exodus here, starting in chapter 8 today, you and I are looking into the Word of God. Now, there may be uh, some opposition now in our country or in our world to whether this is the truth of God. But we as Christian people believe that this is absolutely the Word of God. If, if God has spoken to us in here, then we believe it. We come to it not giving it any more power, not giving it any more authority. We come to it saying, God, this is your truth. What does it say? And if it comes to us and smacks us in the face, then it's still right. If it comes to us and says that we're wrong, if it comes to us and embarrasses us, if it comes to us and tells us that that which we are doing is completely out of line and in error, it is still right. And we are the one that's wrong. And the Bible is the Word of God. That's why we read it. That's why it is our call to worship that starts our service. And since I'm preaching through the Old Testament, that's why we stop in the middle of a song real quick to read some from the New Testament. Because we want to know what the truth of God is. And it is according to this book in which we understand what it means to be a Christian. Now, I realize that many of you think you're Christians and you haven't picked up one of these this week. 
I realize that many of us uh, think that we're Christians and, and we don't really know what it means to be a Christian. That's why we're committed to it. That's why I want to be a pastor that helps you get into the word. That's why I so often encourage you to be here. That's why I, it makes me sad and, and it's painful when you're not here. Uh, that's why we do all that we can to get the word in our lives, because this is God's truth for us. And yet, even in the Bible, there are uh, measuring sticks, gauges to help us see, are we really Christians? Everybody knows the Ten Commandments. They're coming up here in just a few chapters. This is God's holy standard law for what is wrong and against Him and what is right and for Him. Things like, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before Me. If your heart is set upon anything else above God, it is wrong. He goes on to say that you shall not take the Lord's name in vain. If you're able to say OMG without any reverence to God, that's that's wrong. He goes on to say that we're to honor our father and mother. If you don't honor your mother, your your, your father and mother, regardless of whether they're good dads or, or bad moms, regardless of that, if you don't honor them with your life, that is wrong. And God te- God teaches us stuff like this in the Bible, so you and I would would either run away from God with rebellion or come to God seeking to be His people. In the book of James, it says this, a pure and undefiled religion before God the Father, which is what we're aiming for. That's why we go to church. If you want to be really a religious person, a true one is this to to take care of widows and orphans. That's an interesting measuring stick. Most people in the world are indifferent towards widows and orphans. I, I wonder if this week you even thought about a widow or an orphan. And yet the Bible in the book of James says, here's a really good test. Now, that's not the only test. Not everybody in here uh, has to be visiting widows each week. Not everybody in here should go and adopt an orphan. But it's a good test for what, what is Christianity. What does it look like? Or, or perhaps one of the best ones is Matthew chapter 25. The passage that we call the least of these. Jesus' Mount of Olives discourse, where Jesus preaches on the Mount of Olives. In the least of these passage, in the least of these passage, Jesus tells us that in judgment, Jesus will be here and will gather everybody ever before him. And that's kind of hard to picture because that will be billions and billions of people. But in judgment, in the judgment, Jesus will have the whole world before him. And he says he will bring each person to him and he will separate. Okay, you're a child of mine. You go over here. He calls them sheep. He says, you're not a child of mine. You go over here and he calls them goats. Jesus calls the saved people sheep and the not saved people goats. The people that are going to heaven, if you won't just put it plainly, the people on their way to heaven, sheep, the people who are going to hell because hell is a real place and because real people will go to hell. Yes. And and they will be over here. Jesus is going to divide those out. Well, in that passage, they ask, well, I thought that I was a Christian. Why am I going to hell? Or, or I thought that I didn't know that I was, was even so Christian secure in heaven. What was it? And you know what Jesus says is the proof? Now, of course, it's by faith. And these passages teach that. But Jesus says that by faith, when I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I didn't have any clothes, you gave me clothes. When I was in prison, you visited me. To which all of a sudden, if in judgment, Jesus is going to bring up, as you and I are right there on the brink of heaven or or hell, because right now our lives are just going this way. We have not faced the judgment yet. And that is a huge mercy to all of you right now. I'm not sure how you got here. I'm not sure what you were thinking in coming here. And I'm not sure that when we do face that judgment, which way you're going. But I promise you, you will do this one way. You will, you will split life and go either heaven or go hell when you stand before God. And, and my desire, because of the truth of the Word of God, is to get you to know that, think upon that, and realize that. And do you realize that your heart in taking care of, 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 of 
responding to what the Ten Commandments says, or your heart in taking care of widows and orphans, or your heart in feeding the hungry, giving drink to the thirsty, clothing those without clothing, or even visiting those in prison, speaks to what you're dealing with in life according to the truth in regards to worship. Jesus. We cannot be indifferent to things like that. The Bible calls them to our attention. The way that you and I treat folks in prison speaks to our Christianity. Have you visited people in prison? Now, obviously not all of us can. We all didn't this week. The Bible is teaching us that Christians are to live our lives for God. In our passage today, we're into the fourth, fifth, and sixth plagues. And Pharaoh, at this point, is now boldly, arrogantly opposed to God. He is clearly not A worshiper of God. And this is bad. And I gave all that introduction to get you to see, regardless of what people say, our lives often reveal if we are worshipers of God. I would ask you here this morning, if you would be open to admitting, that would be the first step. That you don't worship God. All of those examples I just gave were not on your mind this week. Faith does not permeate, infiltrate, drive your emotions, your life. Being rescued from your sins, forgiven by God Almighty, loved by Him, is not the source, the foundation for who you are. That is... It's Christianity. I'm going to give you two points today. As we start at Exodus chapter 8, verse 20, and cover three plagues, I'm just going to let these two points flow through all, all three plagues. The first is that there are hard people, H-A-R-D, hard people. And the second is that there are heart people. Hard, H-A-R-D, heart, H-E-A-R-T. Hard people and heart people. And we're going to see this here in the passage. Read with me, if you will, in Exodus chapter 8, starting in verse 20. Then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning and present yourself to Pharaoh as he goes out to the water. And say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me or else... If you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people and into your houses. And the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. I want to stop right there for just a second. God is saying now for the fourth time, let my people go. The plan of God is to take his people out of slavery and bring them into the promised land. You've probably heard that before. God has an inheritance. God has a blessing waiting for his people. He's going to get them there. But they're in slavery right now. They're in a country that's not their own. Life is awful for them. They are in Egypt as slaves and they want out of there. And God is going to set them free out of there. Okay? And so, Moses is now to go yet again as a prophet speaking for God to Pharaoh and says, God says, let my people go. And this is now the the fourth time that he's doing this. And he says, if you don't, so here's a threat from God. If you don't, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people and into your houses. And the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. Flies will be everywhere. Now, I want to help you see, and I've told you this before, that the plagues are not all of a sudden these horrible judgments to ruin their lives. I've I've pointed this out each time. They are getting worse, but this is not awful. Okay? The, the water turned to blood didn't necessarily do anything awful. It just made things inconvenient. The frogs were just gross. They, they stunk. The gnats was just crazy. It's everywhere. 
It's not killing people. God's not bringing this huge judgment and putting his hand down and saying, you did me wrong. Now take this. God is saying in each of these passages, I'm doing this so that you will know that I am God. See, God is merciful. God is patient. And he wants Pharaoh to know and all of Pharaoh's people in Egypt. I'm God. You don't go against me. And that's what he's doing. And so he comes again now, this time with flies. And there's a very real sense in which you think, it's just flies? Who cares? But I want to remind you that when God brings a plague on, there's a lot of flies. Have you ever, have you ever been eating dinner and you have one fly in the house? I mean, one. That would drive you crazy. If, if you have a, a pile of like fresh biscuits on the table... And that fly lands on the biscuits over and over again. It'll drive you nuts. Then you'll look like a fool trying to kill it. Or even worse, what if that fly lands on your nose? You do that and then it keeps coming back and you're doing that. You're trying to get that fly, right? One fly. But what if there were thousands? What if there were millions all in your house? It would be... Crazy. You wouldn't be able to stay seated and go, man, I hate these flies. Your mind would be saying, God, stop it. I, I see it, God. I get, I get the point. You told me to let the people go, and I'm not letting the people go. You brought the flies. You said you would. I get it, God. And this is what God is wanting to do. God is wanting Pharaoh to see God is God. God is king. God is the owner of this world. God is the owner of Pharaoh. And he wants Pharaoh to know that. So he brings the flies. Let's keep reading. Verse 22. But on that day... I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell so that no swarms of flies shall be there, that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Thus, I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow, this sign shall happen. And the Lord did so. There came great swarms of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into his servants' houses. Throughout all the land of Egypt, the land was ruined by the swarms of flies. Do you see that? There are flies everywhere. God did it. And verse 24 says that the land of Egypt was ruined. This is not annoying. This is attention-getting. It's not annoying. It's attention-getting. You ever been out on a farm or been around a dog that had some sores on it or, or been around animals and you see there's like literally like 50 flies on that dog and you think, how are they doing that? You ever been around horses or cows and there will be like flies all over their eyes and you're like, how are they handling that? Looks like it's killing me or killing it. It's bothering me. We're talking about severity of flies that God is doing here, not to punish them, because, again, it's not killing them, but it is absolutely causing their attention to go to man. God is doing this. That's what we see happening. Verse 25. Keep reading. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, go sacrifice to your God within the land. But Moses said it would not be right to do so for the offerings we shall sacrifice to the Lord. Our God are an abomination to the Egyptians. If we sacrifice offerings abominable to the Egyptians, before their eyes, will they not stone us? We must go three days journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as told us, as he tells us. So Pharaoh said, listen here. Remember, my first point is a hard people. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go to sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. Only you must not go very far away. Plead for me. Then Moses said, behold, I'm going out from you and I will plead with the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh from his servants and from his people tomorrow only let not Pharaoh cheat again by not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord so when Moses went out from Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord and the Lord did as Moses asked and removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh from his servants and from his people not one fly remained now look at verse 32 but Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also, and did not let the people go. There are some people that are hard. There are some hearts that are hard. Pharaoh in this passage knows for sure, matter-of-factly, without a doubt, that there is a God, that there is a God who has His eyes on Him, and that there is a God who is opposing Him. Now, let's don't think that too weird. 
Because I think that you and I have both felt that before. There is a God. There is a God that has his eyes on me. And there is a God who is opposing me. If you've ever sinned and you knew you were wrong, you knew you were doing something you shouldn't be doing, you have felt, I pray, in your conscience, that's bad. I disobeyed. I'm wrong. That's favor right here. That is a hard heart. You know what hard is, don't you? It's the, it's the, it's the opposite of soft. A soft-hearted person is somebody who, 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 who understands, who gives, who's, who's tender-hearted, who, who can reason with me. Hard-hearted is somebody, you're not, you're not getting anywhere with them. You're not moving anywhere with their heart. Their heart's not lightening up at all. It's not letting up at all. It's not soft. Hard-hearted people are hard against God and His, His telling them to repent. His telling them to acknowledge Him. His telling them to come to Him. To listen to Him. And Pharaoh was hard. The very next plague after the, after the uh, flies right here is the livestock die. Look at verse 7 of chapter 9. God has already said again, let my people go. If you don't, I'm going to kill the animals. God kills the livestock. Look at verse 7. And Pharaoh sent, and behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead, but the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, but he did not let the people go. The very next plague, the boils. Chapter 9, verse 8. God doesn't even warn him this time. He just brings the boils. And look at verse 12. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not listen to them, as the Lord had spoken to Moses. Pharaoh's hardened. When the water was turned to blood, Pharaoh didn't listen. When the frogs came everywhere, even in the bed, Pharaoh did not listen. When the gnats were all over the place, Pharaoh did not listen. When the flies were swarming everywhere, Pharaoh did not listen. When the livestock started dying, and let me remind you that their livestock was their livelihood. It's where they got their money. It's how they lived. They didn't, they didn't just have a farm out of a hobby and they went and worked a job nine to five all day long. The livestock was their job. It was their living. It's where they got their food. It's where they got their money from. Their livestock was everything. And God says, if you're not going to listen to me, I'm going to take your livelihood. I'm going to take your livestock. I'm going to kill them. Pharaoh hears that. Pharaoh sees that. Pharaoh experiences all of his animals dying. To make it even worse, God says, so you will know even further that I'm doing this, none of my people's animals will die. None. In other words, God has the power to go with pinpoint accuracy and touch this and not touch this. God can come into this room right now to a pew full of people and kill one and not kill the other. God can do that. God doesn't drop bombs on places and kill everybody and hope that some survive. No, God can do exactly what He wants to do. God can take a dead Lazarus in the tomb, walk up there four days late, everybody else is freaking out like you got here too late, Jesus. Jesus, don't worry about it. And He goes in there and He says, Lazarus, come out. And He comes out. God is able to do exactly, precisely what He wants to do. He can. And so in this, in this fifth plague, he says, I'm going to kill all the livestock, but not my people's livestock. I want you to see a distinction, Pharaoh. I want you to get that I'm doing this. I want you to do this, that I'm doing this particularly to you. So you will know that I'm God. You've got to know that I'm God. And he says that. And look what it says there. Chapter 9, verse 7. And Pharaoh sent, and behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead. So in other words, Pharaoh's like, man, all of our animals are dead. What are we going to do? And he goes to look at God's people, and they're all alive. Over there, eating grass, hanging out, mooing. Pharaoh's like, what in the world? All of our animals are dead. None of your animals are dead. Clearly, God is doing this. Look what it says. But the heart of Pharaoh was hardened. Now, I used to think about Pharaoh like, man, what's his problem? 
But now I've lived long enough to know I know a ton of people like this. I know so many people that are this way. I I opened up earlier about visiting people in prison. And over the years, I've known a few people from Fairdale that have gone to prison. And the Bible says we're to visit them. So I don't don't look at them as waste of life failure. I want to go visit them. So I used to go down to the the prison and, and visit people from Fairdale that they're in prison. It's pretty strict and high security to get in and they always are asking for some more money so they can buy stuff with their money in the prison. You sit there in between this big wall and you can't hardly talk. You've probably done this before if you know somebody. And I remember talking to this guy, this man. And we're ta- I'm talking to him about, man, when you get out, you got to make some changes. And the only thing that's going to help you is God. You need Jesus. I remember him saying, man, you're right. Man, I've, I've learned my lesson now. Man, I've been reading the Bible in here. They have chapels here in prison. I've been going to them, man, I'm, I'm, I'm believing in Jesus now. I'm not going to make these same mistakes again. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm living for God now. When I get out of here, man, you're going to see it. This one particular guy I'm talking about is worse now than he was before he went in. The only answer is that he has a hard heart. His heart's not soft to God. He didn't, he didn't think that the way I was living before prison was wrong to God. I've learned my lesson. I get out. I'm going to trust in Him for forgiveness because he'll, He loves me and He'll forgive me. And I'm going to walk and, and strive for obedience. I don't want to wrong God again. He doesn't think that way. He thought, I don't like being in prison. God helped me get out of here. God helped him get out of there. And he doesn't care anymore. It's a hardened heart. And we have hardened hearts. There are times in your life, a much smaller scale, perhaps, smaller picture for sure, where you're wrong about something. And the only answer is for you to apologize to somebody and you won't do it. I'm not apologizing. We have attitudes like that. Our hearts are hard. There are times when you are wrong and you have sinned and you do not want to say, I was wrong. I am wrong. I have sinned and our hearts are hard. I bring all this up to, to, to remind you that there are, the Bible teaches us what it means to be a Christian. And a Christian is not, cannot be the person who has a hardened heart. And if you're thinking, well, I got a good heart. I want to remind you that the Bible never says that there is such thing as a good heart, ever. The Bible says you have either a hard heart, which the Bible calls dead in sin. It says it's a heart of stone. That's why it's hard. It's like rock. Or you have a new heart. The Bible says that when God saves people, He takes out the heart of stone and gives a new heart. And so I'm not asking you here today to answer back with... I know there's some people out there with hard hearts, but I've got a good heart. No, I don't think you have a good heart. I don't think I have a good heart. Being nice to people sometimes, holding the door, giving away money, loving on kids is not a good heart. Do you have a hard heart? Or do you have a God heart? Has God given you a new heart? Do you have a living heart? Do you have a heart of stone that's dead? Or do you have a living heart now that says, I'm responding to God? There there, there are only those two differences. If you're reminding yourself of how good of a heart you have because you care for sick people, uh, let me remind you, that good heart is still a dead heart. That, That good heart is still a hard heart. Unless that goodness of heart came from God. With Pharaoh, we see a hardened heart. God is now, I mean, dialing in. Blood, then frogs, gnats, then flies. Then comes number five, the livestock dies. Boils are now breaking out everywhere and there was no warning. You know what boils are, don't you? One boil is enough to mess up your whole household. You see one person with a scab that big on them that's oozing and has pus on it and is nasty and big and we're like, whoa, what is that? One. And Pharaoh still did not listen, so God didn't give a warning on the sixth plague right here. Look with me at chapter 9, verse 8. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, take handfuls of soot from the kiln and let Moses throw them in the air in the sight of Pharaoh. Do you see that? 
in the sight of Pharaoh. I'm not giving a warning, but make sure Pharaoh sees this. Verse 9, it shall become fine dust over all the land of Egypt and become boils breaking out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. So they took soot from the kiln and stood before Pharaoh and Moses threw it in the air and it became boils breaking out in sores on man and beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils for the boils came upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. Do you see that on the magicians and all the Egyptians? Can you imagine? All their livestock are dead. God did it and they know it. They're saying, no, God, we're not going to listen to you. Their hearts are hardened. Without warning, here comes Moses and Aaron. They get all this soot from the kiln. They find Pharaoh and right here in front of Pharaoh. And as soon as they throw up there, Pharaoh's like, what are y'all doing? Boils everywhere. Boils on all his people. Boils now on his animals. Boils now on the magicians. Can you get this? What were the magicians doing earlier? Helping Pharaoh harden his heart. Remember that? The magicians were helping Pharaoh harden his heart. The first two plagues, Pharaoh says, my magicians can do that. They can turn water to blood and they did it. They can make frogs everywhere and they did it. They couldn't remove them. They weren't stronger than God. But they could copycat them. Now God has got their attention. You're not equal to me. Even the magicians now. But look at verse 12. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. And he did not listen to them as the Lord had spoken to Moses. Hardened his heart. Do you have a hardened heart? Is your heart alive to God? In Mark chapter 3, early in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is there in the synagogue on a Sabbath day for worship. You're not supposed to work. And there's a man there with a withered hand. He has leprosy. And it says that all the rulers of the synagogue watched Jesus closely to see what he would do. Would he heal the man? The Bible says that Jesus looked at them and grieved because of their hardness They didn't care about the man and his pain. They didn't care that Jesus might could heal him. They didn't care if he would be healed. They were hoping or worried that Jesus might break what they thought was the law. Their hearts were so hardened. I want to ask you if your heart's hardened. Look back in this fourth plague. I want to show you something else. At how hardened hearts can be. Pharaoh tells Moses to go out and pray for him, right? When somebody asks you to pray for him, you typically take it as a good sign, right? I do. Watch this. Verse 29. Pharaoh has just said, plead for me. Verse 29. Then Moses said, behold... I'm going out from you and I will plead with the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants and from his people tomorrow. Look at what he says next to God. Only let not Pharaoh cheat again by not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. Cheat? Yeah. You might not call it cheating, but God does. When you go to God asking for something, help me out of this situation, relieve this suffering, fix my little problem dilemma right now that I've gotten myself into. God has already told him several times, just let the people go. God's not doing anything to the Egyptians. Pharaoh's the one who has the Israelites in slavery. Just let them go and it'll be over with. And yet Pharaoh says, yeah, I'll let them go. Pharaoh makes a promise to God. Pharaoh says, God, you do this. I let him go. He does all of that. And every time God lets up, every time God relents, every time the the plague is gone, the suffering is gone, the pressure is removed, Pharaoh changes his mind. And Moses, in praying to God, says, don't let him cheat again. Folks, with hardened hearts, cheat God. But I love it what one commentator says, referring to Galatians 6-7 that says, don't worry, God is not mocked. 
Nobody cheats God ultimately. Listen to this. If we think to put a cheat upon God by a counterfeit repentance and a fraudulent surrender of ourselves to Him, we shall prove in the end to have put a fatal cheat upon our own souls. If you thinking that you're Christian right now is based upon not the truth or on your ability to cheat God, then be warned. It's not real. Please check your heart. Is it hardened? Please check your heart. Is your heart hardened? Hebrews is a, is a sermon. Listen to this from the book of Hebrews. It says, Today, if you hear His voice, the Holy Spirit says, Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, referring to the people of Israel in the book of Exodus. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, listen. Take care, brothers, talking to you all, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened, listen, hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. It deceives you. You think you're Christian. You think you have a good heart. You're trusting in yourselves and what you do. And your heart is hardened. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. The only people who are saved, who are believers in Christ, who have softened hearts, living hearts toward Him, are those who hold on to Christ firm until the end. As it is said today, verse 15, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. Folks, having a hard heart is very, very scary. Scary. And Pharaoh here is hardened. Matthew Henry says, For the first time at plague six, it says that God hardened his heart. Did everybody notice that? In the first five plagues, listen, in the first five plagues, it says Pharaoh hardened his heart. At verse 6, it says, God hardened his heart. To which Matthew Henry says, note, willful hardness is commonly punished with judicial hardness. If men shut their eyes against the light, it is just with God to close their eyes. We do not... Play with God. God is powerful. And in His goodness and love and mercy to us, He is asking us to come to Him. He is demanding us to turn from our hard hearts and repent. He is not asking us to dig deep and find in us the goodness of our heart. He's not ever saying that. He is asking us to feel and to recognize and to observe our hardness of hearts and the sinfulness that is in us and to turn to Him. Is your heart hardened? My friend in prison was all about God. My friend, out of prison, wants nothing to do with God. That is scary. That is a hard heart. But there's just not hard, there's not only hard people. There is a heart people too. Look back at this fourth plague, chapter 8. When I talk about a heart people here, I'm not talking about these people. I'm talking about God's people now. In this, in these passages, God has His own people, and they're His own people by birth, by nationality. They are the people of Israel who, who have come from a family. But God has His people there. God's people these days are the people who have the hearts that love Him. The Bible says that. We're looking here at a heart people. We see this in all three. Look at chapter 8, verse 22 and 23. 
But on that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell so that no one swarms of flies shall be there so that no swarms of flies shall be there, that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Thus, I will put a division between my people and your people. Do you see that? God tells Pharaoh, if you don't let them go, I'm going to send the flies. But he says, but to the people over there in Goshen, which are my people, I won't. Pharaoh, I want you to see, I have my people. Go to the next plague. Chapter 9, verse 4. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt. He will make a distinction so that nothing of all that belongs to the people of Israel shall die. And the Lord set a time saying, tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. And the next day, the Lord did this thing. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but none of the livestock of the people of Israel died. And Pharaoh sent, and behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead. God made a distinction. God divided between those which are His people and those which aren't. There is a difference. Last Sunday, Easter Sunday morning, I preached the sunrise service from Romans chapter 8, verses 9, 10, and 11. And and my first point was that there is a big if. I don't know if you were here for the sunrise service or not, but there's a big if. And in chapter uh, chapter 8, verse 9, chapter 8, verse 10... In chapter 8, verse 11, all three verses in a row in Romans 8 say, if you are in Christ, if, and the word if means you might not be, you may be, but you might not be. I want to ask you here today, after I have have, have hammered home the hardness of heart that is in people, I want to ask you if. You have a new heart. We all can identify with the hardness of hearts. That's what I've tried to lay out. But I want to ask you if you are a child of God. Are you a child of God? Has God given you that new heart? Have you turned from the hardness of heart? Have you said, God, forgive me for my hard heart. God, remove from me my hard heart. God, make me not that way. Is the life of God in your heart? One commentator says the Lord knows those that are his and he will make it appear, perhaps in this world, certainly in the other, that he has set them apart for himself. If God was to come back right now and to say, I'm taking my own, would you be going? Or would it be super awkward that your hardness of heart was hidden through your church attendance? Because that will happen. The Bible says that that's going to happen. If Christ was to return right now and to take home His church, would you be going? Or are you a Christian because you're in church with a hard heart? Or is your heart right here crying out, God, come do that. This life, this world is not satisfying to me. Come get me. Does your heart want Him? Are you a heart people? He goes on to say, speaking to the Matthew 25 that I talked about earlier, the least of these passages, a day will come when you shall return and discern between the righteous and the wicked, the sheep and the goats, though they are now intermixed. See, we can't tell whether somebody is acting Christian, they have a hard heart. We don't know that fully. But one day God will make that clear. There's a heart people. Turn with me, if you will, to Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel is kind of hard to find there in the Old Testament. But I want you to see this. This is a passage that's going to lay all of this out, and we will end here. Ezekiel chapter 36, starting in verse 22. Ezekiel is right before Daniel, right after Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Lamentations. If you can't find it, that's all right. Listen up. If, if what I'm talking about today is, is kind of new to you, the hardness of heart and then the, 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 the God heart, if that's new to you, then I'm, I'm, I'm thankful. I want you to hear that this is the, the word of God. This is the truth of God. So it means to really be a Christian. To be a child of God. I want you to see it here in the Bible. You can know this is from Ezekiel chapter 36, starting in verse 22. 
Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God. It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act. Notice that. God's not acting for his people right here. But for the sake of my holy name. This is very similar to what's going on in the plagues. God is doing the plagues so that Pharaoh and Egypt would know who God is. Which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. Verse 23. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, to which, you, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. Now listen up, verse 26, listen to this. And I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. Does everybody see that? This is what God does when He saves somebody, really. Christians are not people out there trying harder than others to be good people. Christians are people that God has done a supernatural supernatural work in them. He has given them the new birth. He has given them a new heart that is no longer hardened against their sin, that is able and willing and humbled to confess their sins. Christians are not proud people. Christians are broken, humble people because God has given them a heart that is that way. I think we have too many Christians with hard hearts and we must conclude they're probably not Christians. This right here does not look like a mean, hard-hearted, prideful person. Verse 27, I will put My Spirit within you And cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. I want to ask you today, how is your heart? Is your heart hardened? Realistically, are you more like Pharaoh than you are like a Christian? You go from asking God things, but then you're back hard. You go from wanting to do the right thing, but then you're back hardened. That's not Christianity. That is hardness of hearts. As I was working through these passages and, and preparing, I found myself thinking, I remember when I, when I didn't care. I remember when my attitude was worse than it is now. I remember, I remember when my heart was hardened. I remember a time in my life where if you would have said certain things to me, I'd have said, I don't care. Who do you think you are? You ain't going to tell me. What about your own self? Don't judge me. I remember when that was who I was. That was my character. That was my attitude. That was my arrogance. That was my pridefulness. No, that's wrong. That is just a clear picture to me of a hardened heart. I don't see the the life of God in that attitude. Has God given you His heart? Has God given you a new heart? A couple hundred years ago, the people over in England sent some people to our country to check out our country. Why is America thriving so much? Why is this, this, this land, the United States of America, why is it booming so much? Why are they doing so, having such great success? Why, why, why? What are they doing? They sent a whole crew of people on a ship over here to figure out why was America so awesome. Took months, but they returned. What is it? Is it their resources? Is it the land? Is it all the the metal, the gold that they have there? Is it the plants? Is it the, what is it? Is it the numbers that they've got? They got so many people. Is it the lack of numbers? They don't have enough. What's going on over there in America that makes them so good and, and so successful? 
Are their people bigger? Are they stronger? Are their families bigger or smaller? What is it? The people from England rode the ship over here, observed America thriving, went back. They said, no, it's none of that. They said, you know what it is? The character of God thunders from their pulpits. That was their response. Those people in that country are strong like they are because the character of God thunders from the pulpits. People, Fairdale folks, church, let us not be a hard-hearted people whose lives model and demonstrate Nothing about God. May we be real, soft-hearted, flesh-hearted, real-hearted people who know God is God. And His love toward me is seen in the death of His Son to forgive me of my sins. May it be that you know you don't have to have a hard heart. Forgiveness is real. A hard heart says, I don't want forgiveness. I don't have forgiveness. I don't need forgiveness. But a soft heart says, He forgives me. He forgives me. May we be a church, a body of believers, a people with hearts for God. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, move in us. Teach us the truth. Reveal to us that we need you. God, reveal to us that we need you. May we not look like Pharaoh, who time and again we turn our backs on you. God, show us who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.